It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That tree starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it don't need something to your own life. Beat it up and I've seen that no seat. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in the fire, the system of the gang, the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury beat it down your neck. Reporter, the reporter's got the sun, pay the problem with that low plane, fine then. Up for overflow, five minutes in corners, but it'll be the secret devil, secret devil world, and you know me. See your heart, tell me what's the river in the river with the right. You patriotic, patriotic, plan Mike, right, Mike, feeling the sweetest life. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Welcome. To the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. It's the end of the world as we know it (laughs) this is the hour of doom and bloom hey friends and neighbors welcome to the doom and bloom survival medicine hour a wonderful whirlwind of wishfulness in a woeful world (laughs) i'm joe alton md also known as dr bones of doomandbloom.net where you'll find over 800 posts videos podcasts all sorts of stuff on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And the hostess with the mostess, absolutely. And she makes some really good toastess <laughs> with butter. Let's say what today's date is. We never mention the date. People hear the same beginning every time. Oh, well, today's date, we're in the middle of July, July... 16th. 16th, okay. Yes, 2016. Right, 2016, and... Uh, we should do that on every show. Should we really? We really oh, should. I don't know why. So when people listen... <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> well, it helps people know if they've heard that episode before. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, we could certainly say, oh, do yeah, it. Oh, yeah, I heard that one. Although I usually say what the topics mm-hmm. are, and if people look at the topics and find it interesting... That's true. So... But anyhow, what is our mission? Our mission is to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. We are the watchers on the wall, and we watch it all for you to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, (laughs) have you been injured in an accident with a mischievous chihuahua? (laughs) 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 Is that what Hillary said? (laughs) Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) That was a little weird. Uh, Our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Hey, what's the news, Baby Blues? We learn as much <laughs> as you, uh, from you guys as you do from us, so... Please connect with us. It's easy. Here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. Contact us by email at any time. Our email is dr, like doctor, bones podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. You're listening to a podcast at AOL.com. 
Yes, we are the dinosaurs of the internet. Yeah, still have an <laughs> we yes. also have other. We have other ones. But we just haven't used them yet. We're just too lazy Who to switch wants over. To switch. I know. But we also have Facebook. We have a group. You can join that if you're interested in these topics. Survival cool. Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We have a couple of Facebook pages. There's Doom and Bloom and Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy Show. We also have a personal page that you can like and see everything, and it's Joe Alton, MD. You can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. Yep, and don't forget our YouTube channel at Dr. Bones Nurse Amy. And we have another podcast called American Survival Radio. That's sort of a current events podcast. Has a little politics ticks in politics. it. <laughs> in it, and so. world news. What's happening today? It's a little bit survival focused, but more on you know what's happening. That's right. We That's also right. have a video cast at AroundTheCabin.com. That is on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And don't forget our brand spanking new edition, third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook. 700 pages of useful information that is now available on Amazon. And our book on Zika virus, the Zika virus handbook, that is another subject that you might benefit from knowing a little bit about. You'll find that at Amazon too, the Zika virus handbook. Well, today we had a very nice suture class and we held it yes. for the first time locally at our warehouse our new warehouse and well, I think I sh- was... it's not too new how old is it oh, a year it's... and a half oh yeah yeah but it, it's the first time we've done it sort of at home yes if you think of, in our own town that's right usually we, we didn't have so to many. jump on an airplane and fly for hours <laughs> somewhere else that's right and, and try to find pig's feet in another city which that's not easy to do especially like Colorado. Yep. They go to Denver and they're like, pig's feet, what? I actually went to a Publix nearby that's not the one we typically go to. And I went to the meat department and I said, I need some pig's feet. Do you have any? And he said, we have no pig's feet, only pork feet. Oh, only pork feet. (laughs) Yeah, it was terrible. And I said, "Um, and this is the meat department guy with the, what is that, the... um, cover apron <laughs> apron thank apron. you the white apron they wear so he's in the meat department it's you know what he deals with and i said um pork is pig pig is pork oh oh well good well, that, that's interesting that a meat department professional didn't know that so that's it pork comes from pigs so well i just like newsflash to there yes. he was looked a little shocked but I'd just like to tell everybody out there that I'd like to say at this time that no pigs were harmed in the presentation of our suture class. Now, I'd like to say that, but I'd just be a big fat liar. Yes, <laughs> yes, because we had a, quite a few students. It was it was a good day, though. They learned a lot. We were keeping the classes small when it's here, so... It's, yeah, we need to fit more everybody personal. and everybody fits into the space without it being crammed. So it was a lot of fun, and so we did that. And we're going to be, uh, let's see, at the end of the month, we're yes. going to be in Columbia, South Carolina. I have my calendar right here. At the here. RK Prepper Show. Tell, tell us the Absolutely. Dates. Well, we're going to drive to that one up to South Carolina, and it's in Columbia, South Carolina. And I believe their website is rkprepper shows dot com 
but if you can't find it that way, just look up RK Prepper Show and look at the Columbia, South Carolina. <clears throat> you can find the hours we're going to do a suture class at 9.30 on Sunday morning. Uh, we do that because it's the slowest time for us, and it takes us out of the booth, and so we can't talk to people, and I'd rather be away when there's not too many people there. So Absolutely. that's why we do it Sunday mornings. That's right. So remember last week I told you that there were a few people that were injured in falls at the running of the bulls in Pamplona, Spain, which is that event oh, that... I remember talking right, about that. That event that was made famous in... <clears throat> Ernest Hemingway's novels and they hold it every year and they hold basically a running of the bulls in which they have six bulls a number of steers just going down a very narrow Wildly path about a thousand crazy. Right, right about a thousand yards <clears throat> and uh, people go there you're not I don't think you're allowed to wear armor or anything like that <laughs> And they just run and sort of try to keep and out, of the way. out of the way if they think it's right. getting or too close they can be dumb and try to annoy the bulls which apparently a Seems lot of people silly. have done it last time when i talked to you when we talked to you last we had week. a last week there were only four people that had been injured none of them had been gored but now the current count is 113 people either oh. kicked in the head or kicked somewhere else oh, or actually gored by the horns of these bulls Ow. and actually many of them were people that were actually gored by the bulls and that is Pretty horrible amazing so luckily the people did anybody die nobody has How died they not have died they've from sent a lot of people to the hospital going into your body i know it's those uh, they're just were lucky very lucky very very lucky severe injuries but alive and those people that were kicked in the head <clears throat> if you're running with the bulls in pamplona spain it's certainly not a vital spot if you're getting kicked in the head <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, anyhow, bulls can send you to the hospital by kicking you, by goring you with their horns. But most concerns that we actually have with animals, especially now in summer, that both we and they are out and about, is injuries caused by bites. Now, wild animals will bite when threatened, if they're sick, maybe, uh, or to protect their territory, protect their offspring. Makes sense. But most avoid humans, if at all possible. Now, in the grand majority of cases, therefore, pets like cats, dogs, rodents are going to be the perpetrators here. Now, most animal bites affect the hands in adults and the face, head, and neck in kids. Of course, because I guess the dog can reach those areas much easier than in somebody that's a six-foot-tall human. Now, dog bites are responsible for a thousand emergency care visits every day in the U.S., especially during summer. According to a 1994 study, dog bites are 6.2 times more likely to be incurred by male dogs. So if you're getting a dog, consider getting a girl. 2.6 times more likely by dogs that haven't been neutered. So you might want to fix that bad boy. 2.8 times more likely if the dog is chained or otherwise restrained. Obviously gets them antsy. They don't like it. And... Dog bites are most, most commonly seen in children that are 14 years and younger um, than any other age group, adults or old folks, things like that. And boys are much more likely to be the victims. I guess maybe they roughhouse more with the dogs. Now, even though dog bites are more common, they're usually a little more superficial than cat bites. A dog's teeth are relatively dull compa compared to a 
felines, if you just open your mouth, open the mouth of either of these species, you'll see the difference in their dentition. And of course, you probably get bitten by both of them for doing that. But dog bites, remember, their jaws are very powerful. They can inflict not only puncture bites, but they can inflict crush injuries as well. Now, cat's teeth, although they are sharp, they're thin. And the puncture wounds tend to be not as big, but they go deeper. And that's the problem because there's lots of bacteria in cat bites. And since they're going into deeper tissue than dog bites, they're more likely to become contaminated and infected more often. The rabies, tetanus, these are just some of the infections that can be passed through a bite wound. Now, things to do when an animal bites, whenever somebody's been bitten, you have to take some very important actions. Of course, the first thing is control any bleeding with direct pressure using gloves, a bandage, or other kind of barrier, and of course, stop the bleeding. But then you certainly want to, to clean the wound thoroughly. You want to do that with soap and water or some antiseptic. Flushing the wound is going to be important, so have a 60 to 100 cc irrigation syringe filled with clean water. That's going to help remove embedded dirt and bacteria containing saliva. If you haven't got one of those, you can find them, I'm sure, on nurse, in Nurse Amy's store at store.doomandbloom.net. Use an antiseptic to decrease the chance of infection. The antiseptic most commonly used is betadine, which is 2% povidone iodine solution, and benzalkonium chloride, otherwise known as BZK. These are very good choices. Alcohol will do in a pinch. Now, when you're off-grid, I would prefer that you not close the wound if at all possible. Many animal bite wounds are indeed stitched together in a modern medical facility, but that setting is much more sterile than anything you're going to manage. Yeah, I, I would say that the golden rule would just be don't close them. That's right. Let them drain. Let, allow you to get in there once or twice a day and and clean it more and clean it 12 hours later and then clean it the next morning and then that evening. The more you clean this, the less likely that something's going to take hold from inside the wound. I mean, if right. it's gone into the tissue around, you're not going to be able to clean that. If it's gone in the bloodstream, you're not going to be able to clean that. But, you know, keeping that wound itself clean and observing it is very important. If you put steri strips over a wound that's deep, especially an animal bite, you know, that may have been ragged or something, it's... You're not going to be able to see what's going on. So that's, you know, a few reasons why you don't close them in a survival situation. Now, it's important to remove any rings or bracelets that people may have on their wrists or their hands if in a bite wound, especially to the hand, obviously. Sure. Because if, if swelling occurs, and it often does remember that guy that was a wore that dog bite suit like they use when they train uh, canines. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he had gotten bitten by one of the dogs on the hand, and... Uh, this guy was already beginning to swell. Oh, yeah, so absolutely. there was definitely a crush component to it. And that didn't take long. He, right. he literally got bitten. Apparently, he kept... This was during an expo in Texas. He kept doing the demonstration. I guess he tried to hide it and not show it to people and just pretend like it didn't happen. It was a little embarrassing. Right, yeah. right. And then he covered it and snuck over to our booth. And he's like... I just got bitten by a dog. And I'm like, what dog? Because <laughs> it was on the other side. I didn't know anything was going on. The dog wasn't making very loud noises. And I'm like, what dog? He's like, oh, I was just showing off some canines. Some canines, I yep. was like, oh, 
you just got bit. I said, and you're the trainer. <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah. I mean, it took me a, a, a minute to realize that, you know, I, I'm thinking, how is somebody getting bit by a dog inside this expo? Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like people are just bringing dogs in all day long. So I'm like, oh, it was your dog. He's like, yeah. And he's trying to keep his voice down. And Nurse Amy's just questioning him yeah. all over the place. And that's when I went and got you. I'm like, I'll get Dr. Bones for you. And I brought the medical kit. First first of all, the first thing you did I when you saw him is you I told him to get into the bathroom. Yep. And wash you, that and you, wash that area. You, you you made you left he left first and then you followed him. You're like, you know what, I need to see how well he's cleaning this. Right. You're like, oh, I don't trust him. I really need to see how well he's cleaning. And and that is the point of wounds. Right. Indeed, was, I just mentioned that you should clean a bite wound thoroughly with soap and water. Right. And that's what he did. But if you're the medic, and so now we have put you in the position of being the medic at this expo here, you need to see how well someone cleaned it. Because someone can come to you with a wound of any sorts and say, oh, yeah, I cleaned it. Don't take that as the wound has been well cleaned. You do a thorough job with the steps that Dr. Bones just gave you. And you re-clean it. Tell them, you know what? You probably did a really good job, but I'm going to clean it also. So we're going to make sure twice that it doesn't get infected. And I'm going to take care of you. But go ahead and clean it again. Just don't let anyone say, oh, I I cleaned it. You never know what they really did. So anyway, you went and watched what he did and then brought him to the booth. And I saw that he wasn't wearing any bracelets or rings. Right. And so I didn't have to worry about swelling, causing them to be very difficult to remove afterwards. Uh, And you gave him all the warnings of when to go to the hospital. Now there's going to be swelling. (laughs) There's going to be bruising. There's probably going to be pain. Obviously, so use one of those ice packs. I think either you know, put some actual ice on it, or they have these little shake and break packs. We have a million of them uh, at the warehouse, and you place it on there and make sure you keep that area nice and cold, and that'll help with the pain. It'll numb it and also decrease swelling. Now, over the course of time, you want to frequently clean and cover a recovering bite wound, so you need to. Use a, maybe a dilute antiseptic solution. Make a little tea with betadine, for example. Speaking of tea, I have some nice hot tea here. Oh, well, Would good you like for you. Sip? No, thank you. <laughs> but um, use use an antiseptic solution. If you don't have that, at the very least, use clean, drinkable water and flush it out. Like I said, with a in with an irrigation syringe, clean that frequently and regularly, and replace any old uh, dressings. Uh, you want to consider putting some antibiotic ointment to the area. This rarely cures an infection, right. but it could sure prevent one. So the antibiotic ointment is excellent for that. Other things are too. Raw and processed honey mm-hmm. has been shown to kill a lot of bacteria. So that would actually be the best choice. Um, and I just want to mention uh, some other things as a medic that you're going to question the person who's gotten bitten is and it just depends on how long we've been in survival or where you are what's going on is do you know the animal and do you know if the animals had a rabies shot right and so this guy who got bitten owned the dog and it was one of our first questions because he was going straight to the hospital if he said no he's like no the dog is 
fully vaccinated. Everything is up to date and I have no worries about that. So that made us feel a little bit better. That's good. Now, there are ways to identify a wound that's infected. Maybe not the second that the dog bit him. You wouldn't know that it's infected, but you take, are, take should suspect that hours, it is. Yeah, it'll take a so. take a pay, uh, take some time. But these uh, the signs that'll show up are going to be it's going to become red, and that redness is going to spread over time. Mm-hmm. It's going to become more and more swollen, and the skin winds up becoming a little shiny in the swollen areas due to inflammatory fluid in the subcutaneous tissues. Um, uh, it might ooze some yep. f- uh, fluid that might become pus, it might become foul smelling. These are some of the signs that you'll notice. The wound will be warm to the touch and the sp- it will have a spreading warmth that'll follow the redness. Right, so these the redness the gets bigger and that area is, is a little hotter. Now, a lot of infected wounds are would benefit from warm, moist compresses to the area. That helps an infected wound maybe drain out inflammatory fluid, pus, things like that, especially if it forms an abscess. So that, those might be helpful things to do. But of course, even more helpful is to give them oral antibiotics as a precaution, especially if you're off-grid because people can get infected and if you don't catch it early, it's going to be trouble, much more trouble, if you wind up dealing with it late. And I think that is especially true in a survival situation because it's unlikely that you're going to know that animal. And if it's been a long-term survival situation, <clears throat> just like we talked about, that dog or cat may not have had vaccinations ever or is not up to date with them. So having your antibiotics and giving them to someone who had an animal bite is a good idea. So anybody who's been listening to us knows that we talk about veterinary equivalents uh, so that you can get large quantities of these things. You can get them without a prescription. If you don't know about this, just go to the website, look up fish antibiotics or look up bird antibiotics and you'll find articles on it. Of course, if you get a copy of our survival medicine handbook and You'll get it all on paper. You can make it part of your survival library, and you know exactly what the what they are, what they're used for, That's and right. which ones I especially want you to have. Um, for wound infections like this, you want something like amoxicillin or amoxicillin with clavulanic acid. Uh, those come at 500 milligram doses. You'd use that every eight hours per week. It's good first line therapy. If not. Something like clindamycin, which uh, the veterinary equivalent is fish sin. The veterinary equivalent for fish, for amoxicillin is fish mox. And clindamycin or fish sin, 300 milligrams orally every six hours. And put in com- that in combination with fish flocks or ciprofloxacin, cipro, 500 milligrams every 12 hours. Put those in combination. Those are also good choices to really blast that infection. Uh, azithromycin, metronidazole, ampicillin, these are other alternatives that can be used and they all are available in various veterinary equivalents. Now children who suffer animal bites may become very traumatized by the experience even if it's from their pet and as a result they may suffer a type of post-traumatic stress syndrome. They might benefit from having some counseling, they 
definitely they definitely are going to need support when they interact say with a family pet soon after being bitten that is very important that you inform your youngsters about the risks of animal bites make sure they avoid stray critters stray dogs stray cats and certainly wild animals and never leave a small child unattended around animals even those that you would think would be trustworthy sometimes they're not they are animals remember regardless and without an able-bodied person to intervene the outcome could easily be tragic and it has been that's right there are unfortunately cases just like that now it's important to remember that humans are animals too in rare cases you might see bites from humans especially in survival settings approximately 10 percent or maybe 15 percent of human bites will become infected due to the fact there's so much bacteria bacteria in saliva they think that there's a hundred million bacteria for every milliliter every cc in human saliva so treat those as especially likely to get infected type wounds so that's it now there are other critters there are furry critters that do damage with more than their teeth i'm thinking about bears so if you're in the great outdoors there's going to be danger in them thar hills and it pays to know what to do when you encounter a bear now bears are mammals of the family ursidae and I'll bet you don't know what their closest living relative is. I don't. It is seals. Oh, They're actually most closely related to seals. Isn't that crazy? I didn't know that either. There are a number of species of bears, but the ones you obviously have to worry about in the U.S. are, are the grizzly, the brown grizzly bear, and the American black bear. We have a place right by the Smoky Mountains National Park where we hang out. Uh, really, those I are think clearly part of God's Ameri- country. Yes, clearly black bears. Black bear, <laughs> black bear country. Yep. And they are, I'm telling you, not an uncommon sight. In the park itself, there are at least 1,800 uh, bears that live there. Unfortunately, many of them have become accustomed to humans. Yes, and we've had lots of close encounters, um, unexpected encounters. Oh, yeah. Uh, just at our house. And when I say at our house, I mean... At our front door, right, and right below the balcony in the backyard, uh, we did not lock our doors because we don't usually lock our doors in this area. It's very safe as far as people, but apparently, uh, bear cubs of a certain age are able to open doors, and we awoke to one morning and uh, wondered why. Our doors were open in the car, and there was bear hair and bear prints all over the car and inside the car. On the seats, yeah. <laughs> I think they Pretty got impressive. into one bag of potato chips that ha- was there when we had driven up there. We took all the food out, knowing that you should never keep food in, but you wouldn't think they would do all that for a bag of chips. Thankfully, it was small bears because there was no, there were no torn areas. Didn't do the- any damage, really. No, they didn't. Knock on wood. Of course, we were there around Halloween because we love it, it there in the fall. Oh, the and so we had pumpkins out there, and they, were, of course, were eating oh, yeah, and smashing the, the pumpkins. What a, <laughs> what a mess. And we well, I guess we should have known. We heard sounds. We were like, what are they doing? And they're batting the pumpkins around and smashing them, and, and they love the smashing pumpkins. Smashing pumpkins. <laughs> so, so I, the truth of the matter is we should have known because bears do indeed eat more plant, plant matter than meat. They sort of take in whatever meat they can opportunistically, whatever right. they can find. Right. But otherwise they'll eat acorns and stuff like that. Now, 
there are times and there are seasons where there are poor amounts of certain crops like acorns, which are also called mast. And if there's not enough of that, bears will start moving out of their backcountry territory to look for alternative food sources, like your trash. Mm -hmm. Now, even though black bears are only about eight ounces when they're born, males, uh, also known as boars, interestingly enough, just like a male pig, can weigh 500 pounds or more. And this puts you in danger no matter how cute you think they are. And you have to have a lot of situational awareness. I've been talking about that lately due to all the terror events and the active shooter events that we've had in the last couple of years. But to prevent injuries from bear encounters, situational awareness, that is the order of the day. Watch for disturbed trash, fresh tracks, and of course, watch out for bears, actual bears. Now, some basic advice when you're out in the woods, you shouldn't be hiking alone. Whenever possible, you should hike in groups. 90% of the people injured by bears in Yellowstone National Park, probably mostly by grizzlies, were alone or only with one other hiking partner. So this is the something important. The more the merrier when it comes to hiking. So try to have a good group together. And carry a big stick. And carry a big stick. <laughs> and we always Or whatever use you need sticks. to protect yourself. Right? Yeah. Now, you should avoid hiking at dawn, dusk, or at night. These are times the bears are out in force, especially in warm weather months. You're just as likely to come upon a bear as it is to come upon you. And so you definitely need to sort of make your presence known. You would think that's not smart, but actually it is pretty smart to see to go around yelling, Hey, bear! <laughs> or sing the Star Spangled Banner on the trail. Believe it or not, bears don't like noise, and it's actually a pretty good strategy, especially when you're traveling near babbling brooks or other settings where normal hiking noises might be muffled. So the idea, though, is not to do it with a hamburger or a hot dog in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> in other words, don't carry your picnic food with you on a hike. Exactly. A lot of people do that. They you know? indeed do. Especially the waterfall trails. Right. They bring, I mean, they don't bring, you know, like barbecue, but they bring sandwiches and bags of chips and some drinks. Then I've seen them when we've gone to the waterfalls. They sit and have a picnic by the water, which is so pretty. Right. You know, they make a little rock their their table and they just hang out. Well, unfortunately, that is also bear country. Yes. Now, of course, when you encounter a bear, you hope that it would be at a distance and if that happens and the bear doesn't see you, keep out of sight. Just go slowly behind or downwind of the bear. If the bear does see you, slowly retreat the way you came. A bear in defensive mode is going to huff, it's going to hiss, or it's going to slap the ground with its paws. It's going to tell you that you're too close. So put distance between you and the bear. However, mm-hmm. don't run. Don't turn your back on the bear. Don't run. It might activate a chase response in the animal. And so that is bad news. Now, Really bad news is if the bear follows you quietly, has its ears direct, has its attention clearly directed at you, it is likely likely in predatory mode and not just acting defensively. If that's the case and you can't avoid a confrontation, make yourself appear larger, louder, and more threatening than the bear. And groups, if they're in groups, stay together and you look like a bigger threat. Remember that a bear that's initially curious or testing you may become predatory if you appear meek. Now, a deterrent like pepper spray, at least, or other items of personal defense, they're going to become very handy. Pepper spray, of course, is most effective at close range, 5 to 10 feet. And 
if you have a bear that's actually, that's that close to you, you might wind up getting attacked. If the bear attacks, don't run. You can't outrun a black bear. Simple. Don't climb a tree unless you're a squirrel. You're not 10 years old anymore, and it takes longer than you think, and your pursuer is a better climber than you, most oh, likely. Most of the time we see the bears in the We see a forest. lot of bears in, in They're the up in the trees. They're in the trees, right. So That's where they are. Use whatever deterrent you can. Fight for your life because that is what is at stake if the bear is really in predatory mode. Kick it, punch it, hit the bear in the face, nose, eyes. Those areas are sensitive, so you know, do whatever you can to do damage to those areas. Also, interestingly enough, you probably shouldn't play dead. A lot of people feel that you should, and even people with a lot with experience. But bears do feed on dead things. They feed on carrion, like deer carcasses. So why pretend to be one? Oh yeah. <laughs> if you do, however, you, you should. It, it would be a strategy you might do if you had your backpack on, lying face down, so that the bear is on your backpack and basically then doing damage to that. Clasp your hands over the back of your neck, especially with your elbows protecting the side of your face. So a bear that maybe has just attacked you because it was protecting its cubs may decide you're no longer a threat then and just and do- leave And doesn't want to eat you. That's right. <laughs> and that'll Hopefully leave- not starving at that point. Right. I mean, that leaves you maybe with claw injuries or some bite marks, uh, maybe some bleeding. So make sure that that backpack that you have has dressings, tourniquets, antiseptics, Ugh. Other supplies needed for treating wounds that we have talked about in many previous shows, and you'll find many articles. Studies have shown that bears accustomed to humans never live as long a life as truly wild bears. Bears lose their fear of people by being fed by them. As a result, many of these are hit by cars or end up being euthanized. Now, we had a sad story Uh, last time around. Oh, yeah, we've had a few we had one, we had that female that had the three cubs that kept going into the big trash deposit at the end of the mountain and into the hill. At the d- little dump. Yeah, that at they the had bottom, it. right, where all of the houses take their bigger trash. And they were getting in there regularly. Yes. We saw them two or three times. They would drag the garbage across the street and go up a little hill and have a little buffet. And then we didn't see them for a couple of days. And we saw in the newspaper that they had killed them all, mother and three cubs. They were so cute. But it was because they were getting into food. They were not afraid of humans. They were not going out trying to forage for food like a natural instinct. Their instinct now was to go to the garbage dump and get meals. Mm -hmm. Then this past year, those cubs that got into my car were also killed. Exactly. They killed the mother and they killed two cubs. I think there was a third one, but I believe they told... They saved one of them. They they relocated Relo- one of them. Were able to relocate But they one. killed three of them, the mom and two of the cubs. So it's a sad thing. A it's truly, horrible. A bear and that's I did fed, not report them. It was not me. A bear that's fed is indeed a bear that is dead. Hey, we have a very special guest today. His name is Gerald Salente. He is a trend forecaster, probably the most foremost trend forecaster in the business. And he is also the publisher of the Trends Journal and director of the Trends Research Institute, which he founded in 1980. Gerald is a best-selling author and known throughout the world, really, as a trends analyst with expertise in a variety of areas. 
he knows about what's happening in the world economy today, and you better know about it too. So here's Gerald Salente. Gerald, are you there? I'm here, Joe. I just want to thank you so much for coming on our show. Uh, a lot of our audience is probably uh, comprised of your most rabid fans, and we are really honored to have you on today. Well, thanks so much for having me. You know what? I wanted to ask you a few questions, and I guess it's impossible to read the news these days without some political or social crisis uh, on the headline, and, and you've got such a keen eye to what these mean economically. What's in the news right now that you believe is going to have the most impact on global economies? Well, there's no question, as we see it, the Brexit was a trigger point. Now, the people in the U.K. voting to leave the European Union. Although we see the panic of 2016, which is one of our top, trend, top ten trends for the year, well underway, uh, that's something that really kicked it off in a, uh, in a direction that made it very apparent. Because when you look behind the numbers, for example, global trade right now, it's stagnant. It hasn't picked up since 2015. And when you look at global economies, I mean, the numbers coming out of China showing imports and exports down. Same with Japan. You look what's happening in Venezuela. Take a trip to Brazil. How about Nigeria? You go to Congo lately. Look at how they've de downgraded the debt levels in throughout the Middle East and some of the richest countries, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, uh, United Arab Emirates, one after another. So there's a crisis going on, and it's being covered up with the booming equity markets. So that's what's really sheltering the storm, and it's really not affecting the mainstream because the wealth that's being created only goes to that 1%. And that's not a cheap line I'm throwing out. That's a fact, because in the United States, for example, since 2009 when President Obama came in and beginning with his bailout programs and, and uh, stimulus programs, 95% of the wealth created since 2001 has gone to the 1%. And according to Oxfam, uh, internationally, 62 people, 62 people, everybody listening knows 62 people, own more wealth than half the world's population combined. And in the United States, 400 people have an estimated $2.5 trillion. So what we're seeing in the equity market and the wealth creation is only going to a very small amount of people. So the big news is that Brexit has really uh, shown the dislike that so many people have for the, um, the economic elite and the political nobility. And it's a trend that's going to spread throughout Europe and who knows, maybe even someday in the United States. Well, I can certainly believe that. Now, what do you think we can expect economically from Britain's exit with regards to the EU, what's going to happen there? We believe that it's a positive for the UK. And the new Prime Minister, Theresa May, said that, um, you know, Britain could be a strong country with or without the European Union. And think about it. It's 65 million people strong. They're rich in human and natural resources. They're the fifth largest economy in the world. You think they can make their own shoots and shirts and computers? 
And I mean, really. And the same thing with the United States. We're 320 million strong. Yet, you know, we only export, what, 12% of our GDP is export-based. You know, so we're not making our own. And one of our top trends for 2016 is self-sustaining economies. So that could be a very positive because by having a self-sustaining economy, everybody talks about buying local. How about making national, buying local, making local, trading national? rather than our money going overseas into multinationals. So this is a very positive trend as we see it. What it's going to do to hurt Europe is that it's also, as we see it, the beginning of the end of the euro. Because although the UK had, has the pound and never got into the euro group, now you're hearing from Italy, from France, from Spain and other countries, they want to have referendums to exit as well. So if countries that, are, that have the euro exit the eurozone, that's the beginning of the end of the euro and the eurozone. And the Brexit kicked that off. Well, we, uh, although we can say that Britain can certainly make their own shirts, I'm not sure we can say that about all the countries in the EU. Who do you think is going to be in, in the worst shape? The, uh, the PIG, Portugal, um, Italy, Greece, Spain? Well, not, not, uh, not Italy or Spain. Uh, Portugal to some extent, but they're in terrible trouble already, and so is Greece by being in the Euro group. So, you know, what, what has the Euro group done to help them? Look at, what, look at the unemployment rates, look at the poverty rates, you know, look at the political discontent throughout Portugal and, and Greece. And certainly Italy, you know, it's a large economy. You know, they could, certainly could do most of what they want on their own. I mean, look at the luxury items that we buy from Italy and, and, uh, and look at the talent and natural resources as well in Spain. Now, they don't need it. You know, you could, you could export things that you can't get, like, for example, you know, I mean, I want my prosciutto to come from Italy, you know. <laughs> And I, and I love French wines, <laughs> you know, but those kind of things you export, but you don't have to export common goods and you don't have to export your, your national pride. And that's what, for example, just think about it. Imagine being an entrepreneur and making product made in the UK with pride. You're going to find a huge market in this environment. And you could do that country after country. So globalization, by the facts, and I'm not making this stuff up again, by the numbers that I just mentioned to you, has only enriched the rich and everybody else. Look at the United States. Our, our wealth gap now is worse than it was during the Gilded Age. Median household incomes below 1999 levels, and um, 31, 51% of the people in the United States with full-time jobs are earning under $30,000 a year. My goodness. Uh, let's head over to China for a second. Now, many say that their situation is worse, is, is bad and getting worse. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Again, what they did when, when the panic of 08 happened, China was actually the biggest stimulator of their economy with their, with their uh, digital money printed on nothing and backed by nothing. And they boosted up. You have all those uh, ghost cities huge infrastructure, and by them building up so much, that's what created the commodities boom in 2011. And now you've seen those commodity prices decline because China imports about 40% of the copper, the iron ore, and a lot of the natural resources. Now they're slowing down dramatically. Again, 
look at their numbers. Their import-export numbers just came out, and they're terrible. They're in negative territory. So if China's not making, that means the world's not buying. And if the United States and the Europeans aren't buying, that means the natural resource-rich nations like Brazil and Chile and Nigeria and others aren't selling their, their, their natural resources. And that's why their economies are going down. Now, China's in terrible trouble, and so too is Japan. And now at the new election they had this past Sunday, uh, Abe's government, Shinzo Abe, who's put in two rounds of Abenomics stimulus uh, that has created a $11 trillion debt level for China. The debt level's 245 times GDP. Now they're going to put another round of failure in. So all they're doing is everyone's printing this digital money, negative interest, negative interest rates and negative yields on bonds to a tune of $11 trillion of negative bond yields. You know, Joe, you're a nice guy. I've got a bond I want to sell you. And when yeah. you cash it in in 20 or 30, 30 years, 10 years, I'll give you less than you'll loan me because I like you so much. You can't make this stuff up. It's amazing to know that so many countries are in trouble. I, I wrote a book on the uh, Zika virus, and one of the things that amazed me was that Brazil was in such bad shape. So a lot of, a lot of countries are really feeling the burn, so to speak. It looks like uh, we're heading for some kind of global event. It is. It's happening already. Those GDP numbers I mentioned to you, you know, two, 285 times GDP, a debt-to-GDP debt ratio in Japan. It's, it's even a little bit worse than that in China. Here, give you, just to put this in, in, into focus, 20 years ago, China's total debt was about $500 billion, $500 billion 20 years ago. Today, it's over $30 trillion. You think they got a problem? <laughs> I think I think so. Let's move over to the uh, United States. Uh, obviously, it's in the Democrats' best interest to prop up the economy until after the election. How will they do this? And uh, do you think they'll succeed? No, they won't. No, they won't succeed. Just like George Bush couldn't succeed when when he was in and the panic of '08 was underway. Uh, what the, what they're succeeding in doing is rigging the markets. Again, when we had the Brexit, you saw the Dow drop like 600 points. You know, all of a sudden, you know, it, it bounces back. They have a, what they call the plunge protection team. Okay, the casino's losing money, and they don't like to lose money, so we're going to rig the game. What plunge protection team? Don't call this capitalism. Call it a rigged game. And the same thing they're doing in China and other countries. They have a national team over there. So what they're, going to, what they're going to do is they're going to continue to try to prop up the equity markets. They made it very clear after the Brexit. You saw the panic that hit the streets, and you heard all the central banks saying they were going to do everything they could to stabilize the markets. So that's what they can do. And they could rig the numbers, too, because they lie. I mean, I'm not, you know, hey, did I ever tell you that Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction and ties to al-Qaeda? <laughs> or was it Al Capone, you know? And they'll make up anything. So they'll lie about anything. Hey, folks, the first year I'm in office, I'm promising to close Guantanamo. The first year I'm in here, folks, yeah. Yeah, we got folk to all right. One lie after another by the commander-in-chief. So there's nothing I believe that the government puts out. So they'll put out phony numbers, and then they'll readjust them later to make it seem like things are looking good. And again, it, the economy is going to be the major issue of where this election goes. 
Now, if it's the if it's the economy, stupid, as uh, to paraphrase uh, or not to paraphrase, but to quote, I think Bill Clinton, uh, you seem to feel that Donald Trump has a very good chance of winning the presidential election. Is that for economic reasons, or what is your do you, first off, do you still believe so, and, and what can we expect from the rest of the race? Yes, we do. That's our forecast we made in, in the spring edition of the Trends Journal. Uh, before Trump got in the race, we had Hillary Clinton winning, uh, and that was in the spring edition a year ago. Well, the reason Trump is winning, it's the presidential reality show, and he's a reality show champion, and he knows how to play this game. And by the way, we own that trademark, and we took we, we, we called it the presidential reality show when Obama ran back in 2008. And Oprah took him under his wing, her wing, and you know made him this teleprompted uh, uh, phony uh, actor. And that's all it is, a reality show. And what Trump is going to beat her on, it's certainly not intelligence or elegance, it's, and because there's nothing out there in either one of them. And I'm a political atheist. I won't vote for either of them. The uh, we're calling Trump a winner because it's the economy, stupid, which was the campaign slogan in 1992 when Bill Clinton beat uh, Perot and Bush. And when you look at the issues, we talked about what's going on in the world. Trade is the major issue out there and the loss of jobs that people have. Again, going back to why Brexit won, it was based on that, a big issue. People lower wages, losing jobs because of outsourcing and to migration. And Trump is on the other side of that. And he's, you know, anti-trade as trade agreements that they have in place, anti-immigration and for higher wages and, and securing of the homeland. So that's a that's a positive for him because Clinton doesn't have a leg to stand on on that because obviously Bill Clinton brought us NAFTA she supported it she also supported the Trans-Pacific Partnership called it the uh, uh, gold standard and of course now she backtracks like she always does like they most of them do because they're politicians and we need to come up with a better name than politicians because politicians is too politically correct. We need a name that really signifies who these people are in their morality and their, by their actions. So to me, low-life sleazeballs, for example, would be a better <laughs> phrase or uh, you know, something along those lines. So Trump will beat her on that issue because it's the economy, stupid. That's the bottom line. They'll try to revert this as much as they can or divert it in other areas such like the gender issue, you know, uh, Trump's treatment toward, you know, uh, uh, minorities and, and women. But that's not going to play. And by the way, Joe, as I said, it's the presidential reality show. You watch. The debates between Clinton and Trump are going to be the biggest viewed shows in American history. They'll, out, they'll, they'll make the Super Bowl look small. It's going to be the presidential reality show. And those debates to us are going to really finally determine who wins and loses. I suggest that there will probably be one debate. Uh, I'm pretty sure Hillary Clinton is going to put – or first off, she pushed for and, – and the uh, DNC chair – uh, push for a very limited number of debates in the the Democratic contest, and so I'll bet that she'll want she'll want as few debates as possible. Uh, I don't know if she can stand the heat from Trump. No, no, it's going to be something. Boy, I tell you, it's going to it will be the greatest show on earth, boy. It'll be a Ringling Brothers and Bonham and Bailey <laughs> freak show of cowards, liars, freaks, and fools. Oh. Step right up. <laughs> 
I, I haven't heard a, a better description of uh, this election cycle uh, than that, Gerald. Thank you. Uh, listen, so therefore, what is your advice to the small investor, small U.S. investor at this point? Well, of course, we don't give financial advice. I'm a trend forecaster, not permitted. I'm a financial advisor, so I don't give financial advice. Speaking only for myself, as you well know, following our material, we've been bullish on gold and we hit the bullseye with it. And uh, here's our forecast for gold. And again, silver as well. Um, gold has to stabilize over $1,400 an ounce. It's flirting around the mid-1300s right now. It has a downside risk to it. We see about $100. Should gold go down, we believe that's going to be its last downside shift. And from this time forward, only moving over the $1,400 mark. Once it stabilizes over $1,400 in the 1450, 1480, 1470, 1440, 1490 range, we believe gold is going to spike toward 2000. Adjusting for inflation, gold didn't even go back to where it was in 1980 when it hit the high of $850 an ounce. So when it hit about, it was about I believe it was about $1,927 in in um, October of 2011, September, October 2011, it never got above where it should have even been then to retrace its old highs. So we're bullish on gold, and to us, the only reason the economies are going up is because of the all the cheap money they're flowing into it. You look at the stock buybacks, for example, in the first three months of this year, they're about $160 billion. So companies are borrowing money for free, buying back their stock, and driving up the prices. It has nothing to do with P.E. ratios, which are way out of line. So, and, and again, the other one is merger and acquisition activities. Big companies borrow money for free and buy up other companies. So that's what's driving the markets, not true price discovery. Is there going to be a critical point here? Would it would be after the election, just before the election? It's hard to tell. You know, it's hard to tell. Nobody knows. They're always the wild cards. And that's why nobody can predict the future. It happens in our lives. It happens in the economies. You know, you just don't know whether it's a man-made disaster or made by Mother Nature. You know, no one knows. Well, I really appreciate the time that you've been You've been very generous with your time, and I thank you. Uh, could you give our audience some of the resources that uh, – they can use to connect with you? Yes. Go to Trends Research. That's plural, trendsresearch.com, and you'll see all the information that we put out. And, of course, we have the Trends Journal, our quarterly, Trends Monthly, Trend Alerts each week, and each weekday night, Trends in the News, all for $99 a year for the digital subscriptions. And we know that people are having difficult times, and we want everybody to be prepared to avoid the dangers and seize the opportunities. So for the people that are having a difficult time, there's a discount request page. We try to do our very best to make this information available to everyone that needs it. Well, that that is awesome. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. We're looking forward to seeing you on the news. Gerald Salente, thank you again. Thank you, Joe. That's it for this week. Tune in next week for another episode of the Survival Medicine Hour. We'll be back next week with Amy and Joe Alton of doomandbloom.net. See you next week.